Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Shares for beginners. So what we tend to look for, we say industrials, but if you look at where our focus tends to be, it is in telecommunications, software, finance, contracting, building and materials. So quite real, well understood businesses and sectors and industries, things that we can get our head around. We sort of use the motto in-house that if we can't explain it on one page of paper, then we shouldn't be investing in it. If you need a thesis to tell people why you've invested in a business, then it's too complicated for us. G'day and welcome back to Shares for Beginners. I'm Phil Muscatello. I know that at the moment the buzz is all about ETFs. They make sense in many ways. But you shouldn't forget that there are other investments with different characteristics, like LICs or listed investment companies, otherwise known as LICs. They offer diversified share market investing, like ETFs, but are a bit different. To explain, I'd like to welcome my guest today, Sebastian Evans. Hello, Sebastian. Hi, good to see you again. Sebastian Evans is the Chief Investment Officer and Managing Director at NAOS Asset Management. So can you give us an overview of listed investment companies and how they work? Yeah. So, I mean, funny enough, they're reasonably simple um, things. So, you know, essentially the way I think about it, and maybe it's not the right way to think about it, but is really a cash box, a company filled with cash initially when they start. And then I suppose their journey evolves into becoming an investment vehicle. So, if you think if you had $100 in a company and then that was spread equally among 10 investments at $10 and then those investments essentially, they can be all sorts of things, but generally they are shares. So, they might own $10 in BHP, $10 in Commonwealth Bank and whatever else. And then as those investments change in size depending on their share prices and the value of the listed investment company changes over time as well. So, it'll either rise or it'll fall and hopefully as it realises profits over the years or derives income, it distributes that income back to shareholders through the form of hopefully fully frank dividends. So, the way we view them is they're long-term investment vehicles, which allows shareholders to gain exposure to all sorts of different asset classes, hopefully in a tax-effective structure. Okay. So, they're a bit different from LICs. I mean, the way I always explain ETFs is like with one trade, you can buy the whole of the ASX 200. But really, why do you want to own all four of the big banks or all of the miners or where's Farmers and Woolworths? I mean, you're kind of duplicating your investments a little bit and LICs allow for a bit more of a, a targeted approach to investing. Is that the case? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's been the hot topic of the last almost decade for fund managers and that's obviously active versus passive investing. So, passive investing, as you said, is where you're not active in the stock market and you take a view that you want to own essentially the index, so everything based on the size of the company or the index weights. And you can do that through an ETF in a very low-cost way, and that's worked very well over the past decade. 
And when it comes to a lick, essentially you're taking a different view that you want to pay a fund manager of some sort to take a much more active approach. And as you said, I'm trying to think of a good example, but maybe a good example would be over the past you know, couple of years, oh, I'm not a bank expert, but you would prefer to have a larger exposure to Commonwealth Bank, who's obviously performed very well, as opposed to a bank such as Westpac, who's obviously had you know some issues along the way. And if you had more Commonwealth Bank than Westpac, then obviously your performance would be better over time. But that can only happen if you have an active approach, I suppose. But obviously with active approach comes with more risk, especially in times like these. Licks have been around for a long time, since uh, the 20s, I believe, haven't they? Yes, I believe. Anyway, I thought it started with Argo in South Australia, but it may have started with, I think, Whitefield, but I'm not quite sure. And you were saying before we started chatting that um, nearly everyone in Adelaide's got uh, an investment in Argo. Yeah, look, I mean, I've been in business for 15 years, but we've run Licks now for eight years. And people don't say this much, but this is my personal feeling. And it's amazing, like out of our 8,000 shareholders, I would say we are weakest in New South Wales. And it's interesting when you go to somewhere like South Australia, who they're much more accustomed to a lick because a lot of them seem to own Argo shares. We get a lot more traction in places like South Australia, Victoria even, because there's a lot of Victorian licks. It's just, it's funny how people do things differently. have been brought up with different, I suppose, exposures and therefore are willing to make different investments. Mm. Can you explain the difference between the close-ended structure of a lick and open-ended ETFs? Yeah, it's an interesting one. Another one that gets a lot of topic. You know, I think the cynical view is fund managers like closed-end structures because it makes them wealthy and secures their fund. I can tell you that that's not the case. In my view, essentially, so a closed-end structure means investors can't redeem their money. So I suppose like a bank account, you can't take your money out of the bank when you want it in a closed-end structure. In a managed fund or an ETF, you can take it out whenever you want it, essentially, whenever the market's open. So a lot of people ask us, it's like, well, why would I want to close in structure? Why would I want, I suppose, that risk? And the view we take is in times where we are today, there's a lot more people looking for exposure to a lot more access to different asset classes. So private assets such as water, private companies, private equity, venture capital. And unfortunately, you can't get exposure to those asset classes in an open-ended structure because... An example people might know is if I invested $10 million into a business such as Canva, which is obviously a bit of venture capital, so Australia's largest private company now, I think, I can't get my money out of Canva because there's essentially no market. There's no liquidity. So I can't give my investors liquidity daily because my investments aren't liquid. So we strongly argue that closed-end structures are fantastic to provide investors to niche asset classes. But I also believe that closed-end structures aren't necessarily perfect for asset classes that have a significant amount of liquidity. Like, I don't think you necessarily need a closed-end structure to run a top 100 fund. You know, that can be done very well in an open-end structure. In terms of market downturns, this is where licks can possibly outperform open-ended ETFs. When everyone's running for the the lifeboats, ETFs will fall, whereas um, licks will often keep some capital aside so that they can take advantage of the market downturn. Yeah. In a perfect world. (laughs) In a perfect world. In theory, I think the theory I use is all fund managers and ETFs in a market downturn of some description will most likely fall at a similar rate. That's probably my view and my experience, especially going through the GFC. I think where people really set themselves apart from ETFs and other fund managers is how they come out of that crisis or downturn. And the big difference is 
two things is a like you said having the capital to reinvest at the bottom it's like you know going through covid unfortunately if you had to sell out at the bottom it would have been a nightmare from a performance perspective considering the rally we've had so having capital put aside to invest at the bottom or near the bottom you know never going to get the bottom and the other one is to invest in businesses that yes went down but were able to survive through the downturn. Unfortunately, there are probably a few businesses even in the top 100 or top 200 that if we went into a significant downturn, they may not survive or they would have to recapitalise and essentially you have an event, what we call for our shareholders, an event of permanent capital loss. If you have too many permanent capital loss events, your long-term returns get significantly affected. So hopefully... By running an active strategy, you don't have those events. But interestingly, if you do run a strategy like that in a bull market, generally means you're going to underperform and hence why ETFs have been so popular in the bull market of the past 10 years. Mm. Yeah, it's been a great place to be. <laughs> no, yeah, it has. You can't deny it. Yeah. So your LICs, your LICs, your listed investment companies are um, quite unique. Tell us about um, your philosophy and um, what the NAOS philosophy is in investing. Yeah, like it's super unique and I always think if I had my time again, would I have done something different? But, you know, we're very passionate about what we do and I think, you know, what we set out to do eight years ago was to provide any potential investor with access to a, a LIC that can give them exposure, a very concentrated exposure to a generally Australian emerging businesses. And by that, we mean these are businesses that are generally valued anywhere between 20 million to half a billion. So, they're quite small. We run a very concentrated structure. So, we believe in quality, not quantity. So, we only have about 10 to 12 investments in each of our licks. So, very, very concentrated. And the type of investments that we look for are quite unique. So, they're generally founder-led. So, they've got a lot of skin in the game. They're heavily aligned. They're generally profitable businesses. They're real, tangible businesses. They're well-funded. They have a clear competitive advantage and they've shown over a number of years that they can generate a good return on capital and therefore give some of that capital back to shareholders through dividends or whatever it may be. It sounds boring and probably isn't in vogue today, but we're big believers that's the best way to compound your capital over the longer term. And that's why we started with one lick, which was NCC. So it's a micro cap lick, our smallest. I remember when I raised the money, we raised the minimum, which was about 17.3 million dollars. And then over that journey of the eight years, thankfully, we've been able to increase. We've now run three licks. So we've got a micro cap lick, a small cap lick, and a, a small mid cap lick. So that the different investments change. And we run about $400 million. We even have a private fund now that does private investments, but that's unlisted. So there's three different sizes of listed investment companies that you're running. In terms of market capitalization, which kinds of companies or what size companies are in each of them? So, our first lick is NCC and generally the size of the companies would be around 100 million. So, for your listeners, that's actually quite a small business. There wouldn't be too many fund managers that venture that far down the market cap curve. So, in NSC, which is our small cap offering, it's about a quarter of a billion, $250 million is generally the average size. And then NAC, which is our mid-cap offering, is about half a billion. But if you compare that to a lot of other fund managers, they would probably call NAC small cap, even micro cap, depending. So, we probably have a different view of life. We just think it's a great way for us to share ideas. Naturally, you want a business going in NCC and then hopefully through success and good execution, they go all the way through all the portfolios to become a much bigger business. That's how we think about it. But, you know, it doesn't happen all the time. And 
These kind of companies, you can have quite a lot of access to management and um, the way things are run. Do you take quite a, an approach of um, constructive engagement do you like to take part in? Yeah, that's what we say. Again, why we're very different is we have very large ownership positions in some of these stocks. So, in some cases, we own you know 35% of some businesses. Generally, 15 to 30% is where we seem to end up. So, we're a large, significant minority shareholder, generally the largest shareholder or similar to a founder. A lot of people sort of ask us, well, why do you take that strategy? Isn't that there's a high risk? And I think our view is, you know, first of all, if you find something that meets your requirements and your hurdles and you want to have a large investment in it, as opposed to diluting that investment and owning something of lesser quality. And the other thing is that, you know, we believe that through constructive engagement, we can add some value. And people ask us, well, what sort of value could a fund manager add, I suppose? And yeah, often you find in some of these smaller businesses that they generally run or they revolve around two or three very key people. Those key people love to run their business. They love to deal with customers, suppliers, you know, their staff strategy. They don't enjoy dealing with the stock market. They don't enjoy dealing with investors. In fact, they probably despise it. But unfortunately, that doesn't mean they shouldn't do it. They have to do it. And we're big believers that by addressing that, Ultimately, that affects the valuation applied to your own business. People will value it higher if you are proactive with some of these things. So, things like, I suppose, how they get their message out to market through communications, making it simple, transparent, repeatable, and being consistent is very important, not sort of changing your tune and changing what you disclose. Governance, so the makeup of a board, sometimes we'll put independents on board, sometimes we'll put our own executives on a board. Capital management is very important as well, how they look after and how they treat shareholders' funds. I think a lot of people miss the fact that as a shareholder, you're an owner in a business. It's not a privilege for management to take your money, I mean, for the other way around. But how they look after your money, I suppose, what they want to do to it longer term to get a fair return. And we try to help with all of those things through a constructive mechanism. And generally, we think it works. You should celebrate yourself every day. But some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. So I'm assuming that some of these uh, companies and the founders have got their L plates on as far as governance goes. Yeah, oh, um, yeah. look, L plates might be a bit harsh. <laughs> I know that's a sticky question. It might be a bit harsh. But they do have to learn these things, don't they? Well, yeah. And I think the reason why they have to learn is generally, if you go back to basics, why does a company list? So a company generally lists because either someone's selling out and they need liquidity and they can't sell it privately or they need capital. Unfortunately, you can't raise capital over the longer term if you treat shareholders with disregard. It just doesn't happen that way. And if you do, then unfortunately, you're going to dilute yourself significantly. So, I think a lot of people do come to that realisation though, some sooner rather than later. Some it takes a while and it's a bit of a rude awakening. But when a business says, well, I need $30 million to make an acquisition or to reinvest in my business and they turn around to shareholders and say, well, will you give me $30 million? And the answer is, 
people know and these are the reasons why, you know, it comes home to roost pretty quickly. Mm. And what sort of sectors are these companies in? Are you sector agnostic or? Um... Yeah. Look, so we've got quite a stringent ESG screen, so that removes a lot of things. You can think of the obvious things, gambling, munitions, alcohol, things like that. So what we tend to look for, we say industrials, but if you look at where our focus tends to be, it is in telecommunications, software, finance, you know, contracting, building of materials. So quite real, well understood businesses and sectors and industries, things that we can get our head around. You know, we sort of use the motto in house that if we can't explain it on one page of paper, then we shouldn't be investing in it. If you need a thesis to tell people why you've invested in a business, then it's it's too complicated for us. Mm. It's interesting, really, that sometimes beginners come into the market and they don't really understand the business, you know. They sort of talk about the business that they've bought in and say, oh, it's something to do with computers. They haven't really done a lot of that that kind of research. But especially for a fund manager like yourself, it's all about the research and the funnel. Tell us about the funnel that you use. Yeah, so everyone likes to say, well, how do you get to your ideas? So, I mean, there's, off the top of my head, you know, I think there's bit over two and a half thousand stocks listed on the stock exchange. But, you know, over my eight years running the listed companies, the makeup of that two and a half thousand has changed significantly. Like I would argue through attrition, through takeovers and things like that, that makeup has has probably gone to a slightly lower quality place than what it was eight years ago. So we use some very basic screens. So things like we've got a $5 million revenue hurdle. If you use that, it's amazing how many stocks you'll lose straight away. There's a lot of stocks out there that don't have any revenue. Then we use some very basic things like cash flow. Are they actually operating cash flow positive? What does their balance sheet look like? What industries do they operate in? And then that actually leaves you with quite a small list. And then when you overlay some things like founder ownership, alignment, things like that, the list becomes very small. So our universe, in theory, is only about 150 potential investments. You know, people think the Australian stock market is a big, wide world. It's actually a very small, small world. <laughs> Especially when you take out all those junior miners as well. Yeah, doesn't mean they're bad investments. It's just not where we invest. Yeah. Tell us about a couple of the companies, a couple of the stories about these companies. Oh, I can give you plenty of stories. Yeah, like I think, yeah, to give you some examples, so I'll give you maybe a, a new example and then one we've owned for a long time. So a new example is a business called Maxi Parts. It used to be called Maxi Trans. You know, today it's only a small business, probably cuts at about 100 million. They distribute parts for trucks, believe it or not. So people go, oh, well, didn't even know that there's a business in that. But if you actually look at the size of the market, like if you look at, buses and trucks and all sorts of things like it's a huge market you know the other thing that attracts us to businesses like these is they're very fragmented highly fragmented markets with a lot of mum and dad operators and the big thematic we see in australia and it'll tie into the next investment is there's a huge baby boomer generation which i'm sure you're who built these businesses up and they don't really have an exit strategy and a lot of the time the kids not not really keen in running mum and dad's truck part store even though it's very profitable i much prefer to go and start a software company or travel to europe or do something completely different and unfortunately that means for them is they don't have too many options so they generally need to sell to someone who's consolidating such as a listed entity and that's what attracts us to maxi parts it was within a much larger business and actually sort of almost spun out to become its own listed entity so it's only really been listed in its own entity for a couple of months but it's been operating for over 10 years so that's one of our newer ones. And then a business we own 30% of and we've owned for a few years now, four or five years. It's 
called Big River Group. It's actually been in business for over 100 years. Initially started in Grafton as a timber business. So they used to manufacture timber beams and things like that, timber that you would use to build your house that everyone's sort of carrying on about the shortage. But they've sort of transformed that business into something that's much more about building distribution for materials and things like that, all for trade. As soon as I say that, everyone goes, well, they're competing against Bunnings. It's like, well, they're not competing against Bunnings. They're dealing with much larger trade accounts that wouldn't go to Bunnings. And through that strategy, they're trying to build a national distribution network. So the most obvious example I always tell people is if you look at what Reese has done in plumbing, that business started from nothing and then through acquisition and organic growth has become a fantastic success story. I mean, it's a multi-billion dollar company now. Big River are trying to do exact same thing, but in building distribution materials. And we think that's got a long, long way. It's not going to double overnight, but we're looking for businesses that have a long, very considered runway of growth over many, many years, not over the next 12 months. That first business that you talked about, was it Maxi Parts, did you say? Yes. Is that in one of the LICs or is it in the private equity? No, no. So they're both listed. So they're both in NCC. Because that's the next thing I wanted to ask about, the private equity fund, which is really quite interesting. And again, this is about the baby boomers retiring and having <laughs> having kids that are ungrateful about all the effort that their parents have put in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Probably. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me especially, I remember when I started, it was a dream to invest in private businesses, I think. Investing in listed businesses is fantastic and we don't take it for granted. But I think it's also got a lot of shortcomings as well. And when you look at the private marketplace it's just huge and it's got so much diversification by industry the type of business the size of the business sebastian just before we talk about this listeners mightn't be aware of the universe of private business yeah so i mean look the data is shocking but if you use the ato data of businesses with over i think it's five million dollars in revenue i think there's about sixty thousand that complete a tax return i'm sure some of those aren't operating businesses but even if you assumed 10 percent that's 6,000 compared to 2,500 listed on the stock exchange. So it gives you an idea of just the depth, not even mentioning the type of businesses, which would be completely different. You're not going to find many listed brewing companies, but there's so many private investments in that. Yeah, exactly. That's one great example, yeah. Yeah, I mean, especially you know, healthcare, brewing, manufacturing is a big one, we're saying. Yeah, so for us, you know, when I started this business, one thing I always struggle with is you need growth capital and finding growth capital for certain businesses is very hard. The Australian banking landscape is really they only willing to bank on property, unfortunately. So if you need debt for a, an operating business, good luck. So we very much felt there was a need out there for people who wanted to expand their businesses, were happy to take on a minority shareholder who could give them that expansion capital. And that's essentially what we'll do. So we'll give a business anywhere between 2 and $5 million for expansion capital, become a, a larger minority shareholder, and hopefully assist that business in growing and reaching its potential over a, generally a five-year journey. That, that's how we think about it. And you've got a vehicle that um, investors can participate as well. Yeah, so yeah, we launched the, we call it the Private Opportunities Fund, naturally, which we launched in 1st of November. It's our first fund, so we've sort of got our training wheels on a little bit. So it's a big wide world out there, but, you know, we've been, to be honest, inundated with investment opportunities. Unfortunately, a lot of them aren't investment grade. It is very refreshing to see the type of businesses you can invest, but more importantly, the type of people you meet. I'm a big believer in backing people, you know, people you can trust, who are driven, who truly want the best for all not just themselves and certain other things. And, you know, it's very refreshing to see some of these people walk through our door. 
So this is the last interview for 2021. What are your feelings at the moment? I mean, you know, we don't have to do any crystal ball gazing, but um, what are you feeling about the market at the moment? Well, I was going to say, don't ask where the index is going to be. No, 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 no. But surely you'd have a gut feeling about where we are at. I mean, I've probably been hoping this would happen for some time. Oh, look, I just think 2022 is going to be a much more dynamic environment than what we've come from over the past five years, even the last couple. I know a lot of people would say, well, the last two years has been pretty dynamic, and it has, but it's almost been a lot more of the same of what we had previously in regards to fiscal stimulus and, and things like that. You know, even last night with you know the US the Fed Reserve saying, you know, we think we'll raise rates three times in 2022. I just think we're going into a different environment. You know, the environment of the last 10 years, I think, has been fantastic. But I think the next 12 months, five years will be very different. doesn't mean it's going to be bad. I don't think it's going to be a bad thing. But I just think in regards to what people want, where they want to invest, what they're looking for, priorities in life, I think that will change. And therefore, stock market returns and share price returns will change. The best performers of yesteryear may not necessarily be the best performers of next year. And I think you're already seeing some of that, you know, with Afterpay at $90 was $140. You're seeing that starting to play out. Does it continue? I don't know, but I'm probably a big believer that it will. Someone told me a great quote the other day, and you think I would know this, but unfortunately I didn't. You know, if you look at stock market returns, I think over the last 20 years for the all odds, it's basically... 80 to 90%, and I hope this is right because I haven't checked it, but 80 to 90% of all the return generated from the stock market has actually been through income. It hasn't been through capital growth. And I think a lot of people have forgotten that. Everyone seems to be thinking about growth. How can I double my money in the next six months? I think that that psychology will change. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? When you look at a chart of the ASX 200 and where it's been, we're only just slightly above where we were in 2007, I believe, 2008. Yeah, something like that, yeah. Yeah, so I just think maybe the word I'm looking for is perspective and maybe I want this to happen because it's how we invest. I'm sure I'm conflicted. But I just think there will be a, a move back to the mean or the average in regards to what people are looking for when it comes to their investments. If listeners are interested in finding out more about NAOS, where can they find you? Yeah, so um, most people don't know about us, even though I've been at this for 15 years, so clearly I'm not doing something right. But the best place to find us is naos.com.au. All the information on all our licks and the fund is there. Otherwise, the easiest way to do it is really to go to the ASX or your internet banking account and type in one of the codes, so NCC, NSC or NAC, and we lodge all our information on the ASX, so it's very transparent and easy to access. Sebastian Evans, thanks very much for joining me today. Yeah, thank you and have a good Christmas. Yeah, you too. Merry Christmas all. If you found this podcast helpful, please tell a friend, especially if it's someone who needs to start thinking about investing for their future. You'll be helping them and helping me to keep this show on the road. Shares for Beginners is for information and educational purposes only. It isn't financial advice and you shouldn't buy or sell any investments based on what you've heard here. Any opinion or commentary is the view of the speaker only, not shares for beginners. This podcast doesn't replace professional advice regarding your personal financial needs, circumstances or current situation. And thank you for listening to my podcast. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.